Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. This week, we're sitting down and talking with Adam Schultz. Adam is a modern-day explorer, um, Canadian adventurer, uh, author of some incredible books, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a, in a few minutes. Um, and at the end of the day, he's just a guy who's who loves spending time in the outdoors. Um, from his website, here's a couple things that you guys should know before we start the episode. Because I stumbled upon his movie, which was Alone Across the Arctic, uh, while just randomly you know doing the thing you do where you're clicking through trying to figure out what what stuff you want to watch and i mean 208 episodes in i think you guys hopefully understand i love adventure films i love sports documentaries i love uh outdoor films that really show uh show someone going through hardships to accomplish whatever their goal is. And in Adam's case, in this movie, Alone Across the Arctic, his goal was a 4,000 kilometer solo journey across Canada's Arctic. Um, he does most of this journey in his canoe. Uh, a lot of it's upstream, which we'll talk about. Um, so a lot of it is him paddling, uh, poling, which is basically He's along the shoreline uh, using a big pole to move his canoe um, and portaging um, and or portaging. And if you don't know what that is, it's cr like you have to carry your canoe and all of your stuff. It's basically like when you run out of water and you have to get to the next body of water, you have to portage all of your things to that next uh, waterway. And so you have to take your canoe. And since he's by himself, he has to do all of this by himself. So canoe, um, walk all the way across, put the canoe in the water, go all the way back, get some of his equipment, walk all the way across, go all the way back, get the rest of his equipment, walk all the way across. And, um, just watching this film, you just see how incredibly brutal this event must be and just exploring in canada the bugs uh the mosquitoes the black flies um on top of like being in one of the most wild areas in the whole entire world the canadian north um all of that combined into this guy who's just completely driven from his heart and his passion to to be someone who is helping out the environment is is absolutely incredible um so his career this is from his website um he's in it has included mapping rivers leading expeditions um sponsored by the royal canadian geographical society uh, and mountain equipment co-op he's done archaeological digs he's photographed elusive and rare wildlife i know we didn't really even get into this but he's gone out searching for uh, species that have been believed to be extinct or just extremely rare. Um, and he's just a guy that that likes being out there. And it's awesome. It's incredible to see. Uh, he's written a couple of books. I'm in the middle of his first book, uh, which is called Alone Against the North. It's kind of his first time dipping his toe into solo expedition. 
Um, so I'm really enjoying it so far. I'm like halfway through. Uh, he also wrote a book. I'm getting my dad. This is a good dad present. Um, <laughs> it's called a history of Canada in 10 maps and it sounds amazing. So I'm excited to, I'm going to send that to my dad. My dad loves, uh, history, but he also loves the Canadian wilderness. Uh, and so I'm going to send that one to him and then hopefully he's going to let me borrow it so I can read it. And then he wrote beyond the trees, which is actually about his 4,000 kilometer canoe journey. So that would be like a good one to go along with the movie after you watch that. Um, but yeah, guys, let's get right into it. This is the like a Bigfoot podcast number 208 with Adam Schultz. My, uh, on Monday, my daughter and I sat down and we we're flipping through what kind of adventure films we could watch. It was kind of a rainy day here. And we came across alone across the Arctic and it just completely blew us away. And it was, it was amazing. It was about your 4,000 kilometer journey, uh, solo across Canada's Arctic and dude, congrats, man. Like that looked insane. Oh, it was fun. Uh, it was quite the journey. I mean, <laughs> I was just doing what I love and what I normally do. That was just a little <laughs> bit longer. It was about 4,000 kilometers or I guess you're in the U.S., so that'd be more like 3,000 miles. But uh, yeah, it was quite the trip. Yeah. Now I'm pretty sure uh, you've inspired a six-year-old to become like a, a Canadian explorer. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, uh, most of my uh, my readers are in Canada, so I don't do a whole lot across the border in the U.S. So I'm, I'm, in some ways, I'm surprised that you even heard about my film um, down in the U.S. Because my books are, are popular here in Canada, but they're not actually published in really? the u.s yeah wow. they're uh they're bestsellers in canada i've written three best-selling books in canada and uh, none of them have been released in the u.s you can buy them through like amazon and stuff in the u.s but there's no uh there's no u.s publisher of any of my books that's crazy man i got i so we watched the video or the the, the movie and then uh i started your book alone against the north so i'm like halfway through that right now um online like audiobook style but but yeah, man, that's shocking. I didn't even know that. I just assumed they were kind of published everywhere. Well, the funny thing is that um, even though my books are successful in Canada and they're published by Penguin Random House, but Penguin Random House has its own Canadian division, they've always said that Americans wouldn't like um, anything that has to do with Canada, that Americans just think Canadians <laughs> are all polite and boring and there's no reason to read a Canadian adventurer. I mean, what's he doing? He's sleeping with polar bears and going over waterfalls. And Americans don't want to read about that. So, <laughs> so my books aren't, uh, they're not released in the U.S., but I have had uh, people email me from the U.S., all over the U.S., say like, oh, yeah, I stumbled upon your book when I was in Canada or I saw it in a Canadian airport and I really liked it. And I'm like, oh, that's always nice to hear that there's people in the U.S. who, who enjoy my books, too. Yeah. Well, I'm, you know, I'm going to lead the charge in the U S to totally uh, buy all these cause they're great, man. Like they're really enjoyable. I'm like an ad adventure story kind of junkie. Um, and I think something that's really interesting is I love the books about the classic, uh, explorers, you know, like the classic exploration periods. Um, and you're this modern explorer and it, it comes across that. I think you are just as inspired as, as anyone who reads those classic explorers to go out and, and really kind of take on exploration. 
Well, I'm lucky because I'm the explorer in residence of the Royal Canadian Geographical Society, which is kind of like Canada's National Geographic. Um, so this is my full-time job doing expeditions, and I've been doing them like this now for over a decade. And, I mean, the society, much like uh, National Geographic, I mean, it's got a long and illustrious history, and there's many um, people in Canada's history, geographers and map makers who've been part of our society. And I'm just sort of carrying on that tradition of doing these expeditions and making maps and, and doing that kind of thing. Yeah, and I I think... Uh... I've always loved Canada. First of all, my, that's where me and my dad would go fishing. And, you know, compared to where you've been like way up North in the Arctic, where we were really, you know, wasn't super far North, but as soon as you get into, uh, the wilderness there, to me, it's like the essence of what I imagine adventure to be. Like when I sat, I'm from Iowa originally. So when I sat at at my house in Iowa, when I imagined like going up and just seeing the wilderness, I imagine the Canadian wilderness, I think. Yeah, I mean, Canada's wilderness is really special. I mean, it's the definition of pure wilderness. Uh, I mean, if you think, I remember reading somewhere once that in the lower 48 states in the U.S., um, the furthest you can be from a road is like somewhere out in the Rocky Mountain states. I forget which one, but it's, it's only like 40 miles or 50 miles. That's the furthest you can get. But in Canada all across the map of Canada, you can easily get hundreds of miles from the nearest other person or the nearest road. So on my journey across the Arctic, you know, I wandered for, and sorry, I don't know what it is in miles because we all use metric up here, but, you know, I I wandered for over, well, my total journey was just under 4,000 kilometers, but for over 3,000 of that, I went without passing a a road, like just wandering across Arctic wilderness, tundra and uh, mountains and rivers and lakes. Yet, do you do you have any? Uh, I mean, I I would guess that like after doing something like that, um, maybe maybe not. But do you have any like trepidation or trepidation about just like going out completely by yourself? Like you have, there's no other things to fall back on except your own wits and your own skill. If you get yourself in trouble, I used to be worried when I would do journeys alone. Like when I was did my first solo trip, I was only 13. And I remember I was terrified all night long that a bear was going to come and eat me. So I just like sat in my tent in the center of my little Swiss Army knife thinking a bear was going to come and devour me. And that was a horrifying experience as a 13-year-old to be alone in the wilderness. But it's what I wanted to do because, you know, much like you, I read all those uh, classic adventure books when I was a kid, like uh, My Side of the Mountain. I don't know if you know that one, but that was one of my favorites. And I remember thinking all night a bear is going to come and eat me. Um, but I somehow, you know, I didn't quit. And then when the dawn came in the morning, um, it was just like this weight had been lifted from my shoulders. Cause it was like, I, I survived my first night alone in the wilderness wilderness. And then it was all downhill from there. And now, you know, looking back 20 plus years later, um, being out in the wilderness alone, I would say is actually really relaxing. It's like one of the most stress free things I can do. And, uh, yeah, I don't consider it very um stressful at all or fearful at all now i consider it like yeah that's where i most want to be is out in the wild um it's so less stressful than i think our modern world of emails and social media and all that stuff yeah yeah um can you speak to just canada uh as in like i I imagine since canada is so wild and 
that's why when you said that about the u.s like not being interested it kind of like just blew my mind but uh canada's so wild like i have to imagine it's like one of the places an explorer or an adventurer would want to live in the explorer yeah i mean i couldn't be happier where i grew up um in canada we didn't have any neighbors there was the road wasn't paved there was no street lights no sidewalks and if i walked out my front door there was a forest if i went out the back door there was a forest and <laughs> if i looked out any of the windows on all four sides of my house it was just forest and my father he built canoes so we were always building canoes and carving canoe paddles and I would take them out in the woods and paddle and just, you know, wander the forest and, and do those kind of things. And yeah, definitely shaped me and uh, made me really just want to spend as much time as I could in the woods. And uh, yeah, I definitely think I'm fortunate to, to have grown up in Canada, but I guess everyone is kind of shaped by their experiences. Like I remember in my school, most of the kids, most of my friends either wanted to be hockey players, like professional hockey players, or they're really into the outdoors. But some of them were like, I wish I lived in, California so I could surf because we don't have any surfing here or skateboard because we don't have any pavement. Um, so, you know, everyone is kind of molded and shaped by their environment. I mean, maybe if I lived, uh, you know, so somewhere like the Rockies, maybe I'd be more into mountain sports, but, um, everyone is kind of molded by their environment to a certain, to, to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to, like to kind of jump into, uh, the big journey uh across the arctic here i have to first say just mad respect for it, it seemed like a lot of your training in the uh winter leading up to it was all hockey based or all ice skating based and i was like yes <laughs> <laughs> because yeah i mean i am canadian so i do play hockey and that is a big part of my training in the winter like when i was getting ready i would just go to the hockey arena and skate laps by myself or skate outdoors and you know it's a good way to stay in shape especially in the winter like when you have ice on the ponds and the lakes for seven months of the year you might as well take advantage of it so yeah man. that's what i would do to train yeah yeah well so is there any sort of uh um crossover between things you've learned in hockey and things you've applied to adventure oh absolutely um i mean hockey there's a lot of different things some of them are sort of more silly maybe like superstitions like in hockey <laughs> you always put your left skate on first and that's just something i've been taught since i was like five and that's something i do with my hiking boots as well i always put the left one on first or else you're gonna have a bad game or you're gonna have a bad journey um but there are other things in hockey like um i think just the mindset that you'd never give up or you never quit even if you're down in the third period the other team has the advantage you just you kind of play hard right to the end and I think to some extent I use that kind of hockey mindset on my journeys, which is if conditions are looking rough or, you know, the weather is bad, you don't, you don't quit, you don't give up, you know, you just kind of try to do the best you can and, and hope for the best. So yeah, there is some sort of overlap, I guess, between the two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what, what inspired you, um, to, to set off on, you know, obviously your adventures kind of built up and built up and built up and then you were ready for just an, a journey of this like epic proportion but what was it specifically about going across the arctic that that really inspired you ah well there was a couple of different reasons that motivated me uh one it was in 2017 so that was actually a, a huge anniversary in canada um, it was kind of like 1976 in the U.S. when you had the bicentennial of the American Revolution. It was the 150th anniversary of Canada's Constitution, so it was this huge 
national celebration in Canada and there were all kinds of projects going on from like local schools all the way up to the national level in Canada. And my journey was sort of conceived in that spirit. And I, the reason I did it is I said I wanted to kind of um, start a conversation about the next 150 years and whether or not um, Canada's wilderness will survive, if it will have a future, or else it will just uh, vanish like so much of the rest of the world's wilderness. And uh, that was partly what I wanted to try to do here. And after my journey to visit schools in Canada and talk to people about uh, wild places and their importance, uh, because I think it's pretty incredible. I mean, th- as I was saying, that's one of the only places in the world where you can still wander for thousands of miles and not come across a single town or see another human being. And there, the reality is in the year 2020, there just aren't very many places like that left yeah. on our planet. I mean, the Amazon rainforest is disappearing, the Serengeti in Africa, even Siberia, the Australian outback. All these places are getting more and more developed. So that was partly why I was doing my journey. You know, partly I decided you're only young once. I might as well give it all I have. And I want to, you know, I want to at least see the wilderness while it still exists. And through my book, Beyond the Trees, sort of uh, paint a picture or a snapshot of what it looked like and what it looked like um, through my eyes doing this journey, because I don't know how much longer it will last. There's a lot of pressure um, to develop Canada's north and Canada's Arctic to build Uh, mines there, uranium mines and pipelines and all kinds of things. As of right now, by and large, it still don't, they don't exist yet. Like it's still largely untouched, but we don't know how much longer that's going to last for. So that's, you know, partly what was motivating me to do the journey. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important that, you know, people go up there and they, they photograph it and they film it just to, so to show people, because like you said, I think you said it in the movie, like, there's not, you're not going to run across a lot of people up there. And so, you know, by actually like showing the beauty of these areas and the animals that inhabit them and just like, you know, the scenery that you're seeing, you know, it's going to hopefully get the awareness raised and like just general public about why it's important to protect it. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in Canada. I mean, even though there's a big outdoor culture, a lot of my readers of my books will tell me, you know, I would never want to do a journey like that, or you wouldn't even see me in a tent, or you'll never get me in a canoe, but they they like to experience it vicariously. And they say, you know, now I, I kind of appreciate it more, even though I wouldn't want to go there and get eaten alive by mosquitoes or have to, you know, lose my toenails walking through Arctic rivers. But, you know, they start to start to get a little more curious about it, and maybe they'll they'll follow along a little more to the issues uh, pertaining to that region, which I think is all to the good. Yeah. And one, even to speak from my experience watching it with my, my daughter. And by the way, she was so engaged the whole entire time. And usually we're watching like Disney cartoons and like, you know, Pixar and stuff. And she was so in, and just the fact that you did this now shows her and whoever watches this, like, you can go out and you can experience a big adventure like this. Like it is possible to do it. Yeah. I mean, I'm all in favor of adventure and I think adventure comes in many different uh, forms and shapes and sizes, but uh, yeah, getting out there and exploring is something that I mean, I highly recommend and you don't have to go alone across the Arctic to explore. Uh, You can explore your own backyard. You can explore what's under a microscope or, you know, in a local Creek Uh, There's so much that's fascinating about the natural world. And I think, you know, the more people get out there and kind of unplug and and get outside, the better it is for mental health and physical health. I mean, I think it can just be um, really 
uh, to our advantage across the board to do those things. Yeah. What 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 was your uh, friends and family reaction when you when you brought this little idea their way? You know, like how did you pitch that to your to them? Uh, I think by that point they were my my family at least were like. Oh, we're not surprised. Why wouldn't you go alone across the Arctic? Like, yeah, you're always doing journeys somewhere in Canada. So it was kind of like uh, something that built up over the course of my career, starting from when I was in high school of doing longer and longer journeys. Um, so they sort of saw it coming. I mean, maybe my mother would be like, "Yeah, do you really have to go alone?" But <laughs> uh, it wasn't like something just totally out of left field. They were used to me doing expeditions in the Arctic and the subarctic as well, and um, it was something I definitely had worked towards over a long period of time. It wasn't like I just started tackled something out of the blue. Yeah, um, I just you know I've been doing journeys for like a month or two months, and then I was like, okay, this will be between four to five months, and. I want to give it my best shot and I'm well prepared. So yeah, might as well. You only live once, as I say. <laughs> Is there like accounts of famous uh, adventurers, you know, and their, their mom's reactions? <laughs> no, I don't think that makes it into the history book very often. We never really hear about like what Shackleton's mother <laughs> thought of him or yeah, yeah. Uh, Lewis and Clark or anyone like that. No, it doesn't get written down, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there. It, you know it happened, though. You know it had to have happened, you know. Yeah, like, I mean, I suppose so. It's their job to worry, right? So. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, that's awesome, man. So you plan the journey. You head up there. Um, you know, I, I have to imagine you, you knew you were going to make a film uh, along the way, correct? Or were you filming things and then hoping hoping to have something by the end? Uh, well, that was always my intention, which was to just film as I went, like with my GoPros, and then make a film out of all the raw material, the footage. I was hoping that it would help offset the cost of the journey, um, which so far hasn't been the case. I haven't made a cent from the film, but it's at least <laughs> nice that people are, are watching it. We purchased it. We purchased it the other day. Hopefully that that goes right to you. Uh, no, it gets divvied up among <laughs> so many other people, but... Uh, no, I mean it's all all to the to the benefit, I guess. If people are watching it, they're. Uh, I mean, it's all good, so I'm happy. Yeah. How did you watch it, by the way? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, we uh, we just downloaded it on like Apple TV or whatever. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure how in the U.S. Like what? I think it's on a, a lot of different platforms actually in the U.S. People can watch it on. So yeah, that's Sweet. good. Yeah, to let me know what platforms are, and I'll make sure to to link that in like the show notes for everybody. I um, think it's Amazon. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. yeah, man. Well, what I really enjoyed is I think it really, I, I mean, you know, obviously there's so much footage that, you know, you probably didn't put in the film, um, you know, hours and hours and hours and hours, but I think it captured, uh, the, what your experience, what an expedition like that would be like. It showed the ups and downs. It showed the low moments, the high moments, the challenges. And I just really appreciated as the film went on, how, how basically it would show like a one minute, like, here's where we are. Here's what I have to do. This is really hard. And then it would cut to the next scene and be like, here's where I am now. Like this, this part was really difficult. And it kind of like, to me, I'm like, who have never, I've never been on a big expedition like that, but I have a feeling like it just did a wonderful job showing what that experience would be like. Should someone choose to do that? 
Well, it's nice of you to say that. It's good to hear because that was a big uh, challenge, which was, you know, how do you compress a four-month journey into an hour and 20 minutes on screen? And, you know, as you alluded to, 95% of the footage um, just has to get cut out and it can't be shown. So, uh, yeah, it gives you sort of a snapshot of, of what it was like in different moments. And uh, people who want more detail, they want the full picture that's what my book is for, Beyond the Trees, and that gives you a lot more detail because in you know 300 pages of a book, yeah. you can give a lot more detail <laughs> than you can in an hour and 20 minutes on a screen. So, but yeah. they're yeah, they they work well together, I think. Yeah, it seemed like you were going upriver for quite a bit of that. Yes, uh, <laughs> my total journey of almost 4,000 kilometers, about 1,200 kilometers, was upstream travel. So about 30% or so was upstream travel, um, which means I did travel more downstream, but it doesn't look that way uh, in my book or on screen because, of course, traveling upstream just takes so much longer that time-wise it was a much larger chunk of my journey, having to paddle and pull my way up these powerful whitewater rivers. But, I mean, that's just the way nature um, demands that you do it because there is no simple river that will lead you across the Arctic, and uh, there's such a variety of watersheds. I mean, when I started, I was near the Alaskan border, so I was in the Bering Sea watershed, and I had to get out of the Bering Sea watershed into another watershed, and eventually I had to get all the way over to the Hudson Bay watershed, which is like right in the heart of central or northern Canada. So I had to cross all those different watershed divides. Wow, man. That, and yeah, and it's just... Yeah, it it was just grueling to watch. And, you know, when you get into those grueling moments, like what is going through your, your brain at that point? Uh, I usually try to tell myself, like, whatever I can to sort of, you know, um, motivate myself. Sometimes I say, you know, slow and steady wins the race, like the tortoise and the hare. Like, just put one foot in front of the other. Just, you know, never stop, just slow, steady pace and just keep going like the Energizer Bunny and you're going to, it's, you're going to get there eventually. Uh, so I partly I do that. And uh, the other thing I try to do is just forget about the end goal and break it up into something more manageable. So I sort of forget about my end point and just sort of think if I can only get to this one lake that I know is like somewhere on my journey or this one river, that'll almost be like the end point for me. And it's kind of like, I always say like a donkey, and you have the carrot on the stick, you're just kind of leading it on. And I say, like, I'll have an extra power bar if I can just get to that point and sort of lead myself on bit by bit. And that seems to make it less daunting uh, when you mentally break it up as if you're doing not one big long journey, but like 12 smaller journeys. Just psychologically, it makes it seem uh, more possible and less daunting to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, do you do you ever get stuck in like a funk or or negative self-talk? Not in a journey. Like when I'm out in the wilderness, it's like your mind is clear. You're you're just you have no distractions. Everything is is admirably simple because it's just a very simple task. You know, I have to make a fire. I got to get this fire. I got to get my tent up. You know, I have to find a place to to sleep for the night because you know up there the terrain is very difficult. It's not always easy to find a place you can set up a tent. Uh, it might be too rocky and barren, or there could be bears around. They're always wandering around. So um, your mind is just really clear because there's always sort of a, an immediate pressing task that must be completed. <laughs> yeah. And that sort of keeps you laser focused on your ob- objective because you can't really afford to be um, too much in your head thinking about other things. So I would say, yeah, you know, having that sort of simple physical task to do is actually kind of really um, 
relaxing, even though you're like, yeah, you could be like, oh, a polar bear is going to come eat me. But at least you're not like focused. You're not really um, down on yourself because you're just, you have a task to do. I mean, it's like they say, one of the best cures for any sort of um, whatever ails you is just to keep busy, you know, get busy and give yourself a task to do. And out there you've got a lot of tasks to complete. So that kind of keeps me on an even keel, I think. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think something that, that comes across is just the amount of exertion that you have to go through all day long, day after day after day to do something like this is, is just humongous. It's, it's, and it's admirable to see someone actually go about their day and, and, and do it. Um, can you kind of talk about like, just what does it feel like when you just exerted yourself that much? Well, I mean, it's, uh, it is exhausting as you said, but I think it's, um, there's rewards to it as well. Like, you know, when you put in a long 13 hour day of canoeing, you sleep all the better overnight. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I don't even hear the bear outside my tent or that Wolverine didn't yeah. even wake me up this time. Um, so it's kind of rewarding in itself, you know, just putting in an honest day's toil. Um, but I mean, that is one of the challenges of going solo is that, uh, there's no division of labor. So if you have another person you can say, you know, you're paddling together and it's making it easier to get upstream. But if you're by yourself then you've got to do all that paddling on your own. And as I said, there's no division of labor. So if the storm is coming, which is often the case, you know, a storm is threatening. If there's more than one of you, you can say, okay, you get the tent set up and I'm going to um, quickly boil some water and make us some hot tea. But if you're by yourself, you've got to do each individual task on your own and you got to gather the firewood or you've got to, you know, peg down your tent and you've got to carry the canoe over your head by yourself. So it is a lot harder just being solo, but there are, there are upsides as well. Um, one of the things that I say is a real advantage, especially as a, someone who loves wildlife is if you're by yourself, you're going to get to see a lot more wildlife because, you know, most animals, um, for good reason, have evolved to be wary of humans. I mean, they know to avoid us and they can be elusive, especially things like a lynx or a wolverine or arctic wolf. Um, but if you're by yourself and you're quiet, I mean, you can resist the urge to talk to yourself for a volleyball. Um, <laughs> many of these animals will start to approach because they don't feel as threatened as approaching one person as opposed to a group. And as you can see in the film, I mean, I get some really awesome wildlife footage of Arctic wolves coming up to me and um, bears and all kinds of animals. Caribou would often be curious about me. And that's something I really love about my journeys is um, getting to encounter all these animals in their natural habitat and have them look at me and, and just to um, get to see them like that. It's really kind of a special feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I... I guess yeah, I didn't even think about that because when you're with somebody, you're usually talking or making more noise than you would normally. Yeah, absolutely. And many of those animals, I mean, they have such a keen sense of smell and, and hearing that they know you're around, especially on the tundra, uh, before you know they're there. So if they don't want you to see them, oftentimes you won't. Uh, but if you're by yourself, then they kind of come out of hiding a little more because they're curious. They might come down to the riverbank and look at you or um, they might linger before they take off and, and take a look at you. I mean, a few times I'd be wandering across the tundra carrying my canoe in between different lakes and caribou would just come right up to me and approach me and kind of look at me and, um, curiously. And wolves, uh, the wolves would do that as well. They would sometimes approach me and look at me. And they weren't threatening at all. Like, they're actually quite skittish and shy. If I, if I talked loudly, they'd run off. Or if I made a sudden movement, they would run off. Almost like that movie Dances with Wolves, if you've ever seen it. He's yeah. by himself 
and the wolves are like, you know, they're kind of skittish and shy, but eventually he kind of coaxes them out a little. And it is, it is very much like that. If I'm leading like a group of people and there's eight of us, the animals are going to be a lot more wary than if you're just by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing that has to be probably the roughest aspect of solo travel is all the poor, poor, I always said portaging. That's my Iowan in me. Whenever me and my dad would talk about it, when we go on fishing trips, we'd be like, we got to portage this. But you always say That's portage. That's what every American says. Oh, okay. Yeah. Portage sounds more fancy and like more sophisticated, I would say. <laughs> That's um, what, well, it's, it's portage. In Canada, everyone says portage. Yeah. It's a French, it's a French word. That's yeah, yeah. a French word to carry, right? So you're just carrying your stuff. And then we and, down here, we just totally butcher the word. Well, you don't, you, we're bilingual. So everyone up here has like at least some French, yeah. you know, education. And yeah, it's the portage. But yeah, I have an American friend from Pennsylvania and he, he says portage as well. And he thinks it's weird that everyone here says portage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so when you portage though, like you're carrying not only the canoe, but all of your gear. And I think uh, that one part that you captured in the film is it's like a 10 kilometer uh portage and you carry the canoe then you have to go back and then it's just i was doing the math in my mind and i was like wow that is an, a ridiculous distance for someone to cover in one day uh with all the gear yeah, yeah absolutely and there's no trail or there's no path to follow and the ground is often very rocky or the opposite end of the spectrum it's often very boggy like uh, what we call muskeg um, which is kind of like quicksand you know just a thin layer of soil and then underneath that is more swamp and you sink down into it or, you know, the opposite end is, is very rocky and rugged. But, um, yeah, to do my portage, it's because I can't carry everything in one load. I have my canoe, I have my backpack, and then I have two watertight plastic barrels, which are canoe barrels, and that's got all my rations in them. So that means I have four different loads to carry. And if I have to say portage for two miles, um, the true distance I have to cover on foot just to get to the next body of water is, in fact, seven times that amount. So two miles becomes 14 miles of going back and forth with each load um, just to complete the portage and get to the next body of water. So it does take a little bit of patience, but you can see why my motto is slow and steady wins the race. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and what what have you learned about patience through this? And have you been able to bring it into, you know, the other aspects of your life? Well, one thing I think I've learned from all my uh, wilderness journeys is that um, it's important never to really despair or um, give up because there's always situations that seem like they're impossible, like you're never going to be able to get through this thicket or you're never going to be able to paddle into such a strong headwind. But if you're just persistent, um, it's amazing how persistence pays off. So it's like, you know, and mile by mile, inch by inch, step by step, we will get up this river. We will get through this thicket. We just, um, we have to stay positive because if you give up, you're definitely not going to succeed. And if you just take it step by step, you will get there eventually. So I think patience is probably like the most underrated um, trait you can have to do these kind of adventures. I mean, I don't think patience is something people necessarily associate with adventurers, but it's actually really valuable, at least for the kind of journeys I do. It's just to have this mindset that, you know, we're not going to get there today, but we will get there if we just keep going. And that's sort of my approach to everything that, you know, if, if the situation looks hopeless, like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. 
I didn't think there was a 40 foot waterfall here and that side is all cliffs. Like there's no way forward. I usually just take a moment to sit down and think out a strategy, you know, kind of regroup, think it through and come up with a plan and then just, um, start going. And that's, that's kind of how I always do it is, you know, if something looks really daunting and difficult, um, don't let despair <laughs> carry the day. Just sort of think, sit down and, and think it through and you can usually find a solution. I mean, there's usually a solution if you think long enough about it. Yeah. Yeah. What, what other traits would you say, um, it, like successful adventurers have in common? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know so much about the other fields of adventure, what people do in, in other um, outdoor activities like rock climbing and that kind of stuff. But for me personally, um, at the end of the day, from everything I've seen in the field and observed traveling with different people, because I don't just do solo journeys, I do expeditions with other people as well, is that the single most important trait, far more important than any physical training, is uh, simply the right attitude. You have to actually love what you're doing and you have to love the outdoors and in nature. That's the single most important thing. You need that sort of um, curiosity and that enthusiasm. I mean, enthusiasm counts for more than anything else. I've been on wilderness expeditions with professional athletes, with people who have like, you know, ripped bodies. They're always in the gym. And I've been on expeditions with people who <laughs> are overweight and uh, quite a bit older, you know, like pushing 60. And I've seen the people who put in a better effort and, you know, have more mental toughness than the really um, trim person in their 20s because they don't have the right mindset. They just think, yeah, this is brutal. The bugs are bad. It's cold. It's wet. It's rainy. And I want to be back home on my couch with my Xbox. So it's all about, like, do you actually love what you're doing and are you passionate about it? And there are ways that you can um, sort of fortify yourself mentally. I think, like, the more you study um, what you're actually doing, the more you enjoy it. So when I'm actually home, I always have my head buried in a book about, you know, lichens or mushrooms or wild plants because I want to increase my knowledge base because there's tens of thousands of different wild mushrooms and lichens and plants in North America. So there's always going to be more to learn. And same with birds, right? Like there's thousands of different bird species. So I'm always trying to learn more birds and bird calls and uh, more about the rocks and the geology, more about the history of the places I travel to. And it just seems like that enriches the experience. Like now I'm like, oh, this is so cool. I mean, this is Precambrian rock. This is over a billion years old. It's the oldest rock on the planet. It was here before there were even dinosaurs. Or, um, you know, this is uh, this this is a, a rare type of lichen and it's actually edible. And, you know, it all adds to the experience and it adds to the enthusiasm. So that's uh, that's kind of what I think is probably the single most important trait when it comes to doing any kind of journey like that. That's awesome, man. And that's like such good advice for whatever a person's passionate about too. Yeah. I mean, there's always more to learn. So it's like, I'm always sort of studying and trying to learn more about what it is I'm doing. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, um, just to kind of start to wrap up here, uh, I have to ask you this because I read this online and I was like, that is incredible. But what was your reaction when you were labeled Canada's Indiana Jones? <laughs> oh well, that was uh, that was seven years ago when I was doing <laughs> expeditions for the Royal Canadian Geographical Society. I was mapping waterfalls and things. And yeah. actually, when that 
when that happened, well, I didn't know about it because it was in it was in our uh, a big newspaper in Canada called the Toronto Star, which I guess is kind of like the Canadian New York Times. Um, but I was in the wilderness and I had no phone, I had no access to anything, so I never knew that that happened. And it wasn't until like weeks later that I came back to civilization. They're like, oh, you were like on the front page of the newspaper and they called you Canada's Indiana Jones. And I was like, oh, really? But I'd never seen the movie Indiana Jones. Like I just, I knew the character, but I'd never actually watched any of the movies. So I went and uh, rented the movies because there were still rental stores and watched all three of them. And I was like, I better, I better learn more about who this person is now that I've been compared to him. And I was like, oh, you know, they're kind of fun movies, but I don't really see myself as in any way similar to him because he's like this brash American gunslinger, carries a bull whip, and yeah. I'm not really anything like that. I, I, I'm so different in terms of personality and what I actually do. I'm out in the wilderness, not finding uh, the lost ark and that kind of stuff. So That's it's a little bit different, man. but yeah, yeah. You, you still carry a whip now, obviously, though, right? I mean. Oh yeah. Uh, no, I don't have a whip. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, man, that's awesome. Well, like I said, I'm, I'm in the middle of alone against the North. Cause I just figured I'd start with your, your first book, your first adventure. And I love it so far. I think it's great. Uh, I got, like I said, I got the audio book. So, um, where can people kind of find more, uh, uh, find out more about you or find your books? Cause I definitely plan on reading all three and, the one that you have called a history of Canada in 10 maps. I am for sure. That's like a father's day gift to my dad, like already ordered. Like I'm definitely ordering it for, I guess father's day just happened, but I'm ordering it for the next big, like dad present. I owe him. Yeah. That's a, that's an adventure book. It's a, it's a Canadian history book, but that's, that's like Canadian history meets Game of Thrones. If you think Canadian history is boring, go read Canada in 10 maps. It's got like Vikings and big battles and all kinds of crazy stuff, wilderness adventure and cannibalism. Everything that can go wrong on expeditions is in that book. Uh, but my books, as I said, are mostly in the U.S., uh, just on Amazon. And if you have a local bookstore or an outdoor store, you can tell them, hey, I heard this guy in Canada. We should get his book in our stores because they're mostly not in stores in the U.S., but uh, you can find my books online in the U.S. if you want to buy them on Amazon. And uh, if you want more information on me, you can find my website. And the only social media I have is Instagram and Facebook. So you can find me on there as well. Awesome, man. Well, and I also want to give you mad, re- mad respect for uh, for the Game of Thrones quotes during the during the film. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, Great. And then you're just like, yeah, I kept telling myself winter's coming. I'm like, yes, of course. That has to be the only motto along the way. <laughs> yeah, but that's like an, that's an unofficial Canadian motto because winter is always coming here. <laughs> <laughs> he stole it from you guys. Dang, that's crazy. Yeah. But awesome. Uh-huh. Well, Adam, thank you for coming on. And uh, yeah, I, I look forward to, uh, to following, following your future adventures, man. Keep it up. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, thanks. All right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. Be sure to check out all of Adam's stuff, uh, adamschultz.com. He, he's written three books, like I mentioned. They all sound great. Um, and then Alone Across the Arctic. And also, like, this dude lives what he puts out because as soon as we were done chatting... Adam's like, yeah, like I, I probably won't be able to, um, you probably won't be able to contact me much in the next few months because I'm, I'm going to head out there and, and do another solo journey. Um, 
which is which sounds just so cool. So um, he's out there right now. He's he's in the the Canadian wilderness, um, doing what he loves, and that is I just have uh, so much respect for that. Um, I've been reading a book lately, uh, and at least the part I'm on is all about um, how to. find your passion and what the world could be like if everyone just completely lived in their passion and did what they were placed on earth to do. And after talking with Adam, he's definitely someone that that I look up to as a person that is really taking that to heart and is going out there and doing exactly what he's called to do, um, which is awesome. He, he, he's found his purpose he knew his purpose, he understands his purpose, and now he's living within his purpose. And I think that's something we all can strive for, um, me included, for sure. Um, and then side note, if you've never been to the wilderness in Canada, which, by the way, I've only been to you know the lakes in Ontario, and it's, it's just funny like trying to get into the mindset of someone who lives in Canada that would be considered the south so you would be in the southern part but to me from iowa that is definitely the far 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 north uh but where adam's going uh, at least in the the film we talked about where he's going is even further north than that like polar bear like you're seriously considering uh polar bear danger in those situations but all that being said from where i've been which is the lakes in Canada, kind of like lake area in Ontario and whatnot. Um, It seriously, like from a young age, has captured my imagination as it comes to adventure, um, as it comes to exploring. And I, I don't know why I've really tried to dig deep. Like, why is this area and not, um, like the desert or not like the jungle or whatever. Why has the North woods quote unquote, from my perspective, why has that really drawn? Like, why is that? Why have I been drawn to that? You know? Um, and I was trying to think, and I, I honestly think that was my first exposure to a bigger world. Um, so my, my dad would go up there and he would go like bear hunting or, um, fishing and stuff like that. And, uh, he would do that when I was a kid. And then finally he, he started taking me on, on the fishing trips. And that was really like the way I remember it. Cause I know I'd, I'd been out to like Montana and Colorado and stuff in the mountains, but I think I was too young to really to really appreciate that but he took me fishing when i was like i want to say like seven six or seven or eight up in canada and and that's just like a really important time in a kid's life and i just remember the hours spent just wandering around the cabin and i can still smell the the pine trees and you know hear the loons on the lake and and just that like there's this weird smell slash feeling when it's still kind of cold in the morning but you're getting out there and you're getting into a boat and you're about to go off into the lake and and the lakes up there i mean you you gotta go to them the shield lakes there 
there's no there's usually no um at least where we went there was no houses or anything on the side um it's not like you're at like a big cabin resort we were always in these like either old campgrounds or like beaten down old shacks that people had <laughs> uh and at times we were the only people out there um there's a couple uh, we've done a handful of the ones where you like fly in and so you're literally the only people on these little lakes and um there's just something to that experience that i had as a kid that when i think of adventure i do think of canada and that's why I was so excited to talk to Adam because he's a Canadian explorer and that is a life that is fascinating to me and to be out there and you'll see it if you watch Alone Across the Arctic, like you're going to see some of the things he sees, like you, the wildlife, you know, um, the wolves that he sees, the just everything man it's it's awesome the and and even like you know watching it i was like whoa and duh like obviously canada looks different in different places but as he goes across you're gonna see the changing in the environment and the settings and it's it's awesome it's a beautiful beautiful land beautiful place so um I was just excited to to sit down and chat with Adam. So hopefully you guys enjoyed the episode. Um, I really, oh, just also side note, I think the the to me the most important takeaway is when he was talking about like being able to withstand something as challenging as this and how that resilience just comes from his passion. He's passionate about it, so he's able to withstand. And how whatever you decide to do, whatever you want to go out and and get done, even if it's something that is super, super incredibly hard, if you're passionate about it, that is going to give you that extra level that you're gonna need to be able to withstand any obstacles that are thrown your way. I thought that was amazing. I'm hoping to pull that clip um, after I put the episode out. So, um, but yeah, anyways, uh, thank you guys for listening this week. We will be back at you next week. Um, so come on back. Hope you guys have a good week. See ya.